And the whole message really is, uh, everybody has bumps in the road. Everybody has like bad things that happen, good things. But what about the people that are gonna have the exact same journey? Is there any way you can make their journey a little bit better? Welcome to a new episode of Most Memorable Journeys. I have another wonderful guest today. She's somebody that I have never met in person, but I feel that I've known forever. Um, she's far away. She's in Texas, and yet this distance makes no difference. We speak to each other on Clubhouse. We speak to each other because of the Global Woman Club. And um, somehow I just have feel like I'm connected to you, Jerry Matthews. Thank you so much for being on my podcast. I want to just tell the people a little bit who you are because you're an amazing lady. You're a mother, you're a businesswoman, you're a wife, you're a breast cancer survivor. And that is very important part of your journey. And we're going to talk about what you did with that. But we're also going to talk about something that I figured out myself today because I've been listening to you and I love listening to accents and I love figuring out where people are from because, you know, Texas, I always heard Texas, but I always heard this little about word. And so you are originally Canadian. Welcome to my podcast, Jerry. Thank you. Yes, you figured me out. I said about yes or how yes. Yeah, well, I'm super honored to be here, Elizabeth. Thank you so much. So tell me, how did you get from Canada? Where about in Canada were you born? I was born in Hamilton, Ontario, but pretty much all my relatives, my people, are from uh, British Columbia, Victoria Island. Um, in fact, we even owned uh, Salt Springs Island at one point. Um, so yeah, I've, I've got big roots in British Columbia. Do you go to Canada at all? Yes, actually, I'm going to see my mom. Of course, COVID's been a bit of a bump in the road, mm. but I'm going to go in a couple of weeks to have her 84th birthday. Oh, that's wonderful. And she is in Hamilton? Yes, she's in Hamilton They um, with my little sister. She's there with my mom. And so, yeah, we're really looking forward to it. I don't know if, you, if I ever told you or if you ever heard this story, but I found out. But I wanted to have a family and I sort of panicked and I wanted to go on a last tour guide round trip. I asked my Swiss company if they have something for me and they said, yes, start in Boston. It ends in Toronto. Go on that trip because they always needed people in the summer. And uh, somehow, somewhere in Ottawa, I started feeling a bit funny and I bought the pregnancy test and I found out in the Algonquin National Park that I was pregnant with my daughter. So my daughter is partly Canadian. <laughs> that is an instantaneous dual citizenship. It should be, shouldn't I, I, it? <laughs> I think there's a special passport for that one. That's so, a beautiful part. But this is not about me and my daughter. This is about you. So what happened? When did you travel for the first time? What was your first trip ever? My first trip ever. Well, my father, he would drag his boat all over the place. So our trip, you know, people drag uh, RVs around. His, his thing was pulling the boat around to lakes in Canada. Oh. And we would live, just my dad and I, my, uh, we would just sleep on the boat. And then we would park it and our dock it. And then we'd go look at the normal surroundings and actually have breakfast with the locals. And then we would do that for a couple of days. And then we'd bring the boat back up and go to another lake. So that's kind of fun. It's a little different. Water's always freezing cold, so that part I didn't like. 
But there are so many beautiful lakes. I took the kids two years, three years ago in 2018. We went back to Canada on a trip. We we flew to Calgary and drove through the parks to Vancouver. And oh my God, it's just one. It's just beautiful. Everything is beautiful. It is a beautiful country. It uh, it really is. It holds a near and dear place in my heart still because I don't know. It's just almost untouched. There's enough of it untouched. So if you go deep, 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 right back to the beginning of time, it's just the trees are magnificent. The um, just the smell, the air, the water. Yeah, it's a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But now you're in Texas. Yeehaw. How on earth did you end up in Texas? My husband's uh, position would change a little bit. I'm able to do my um, business anywhere. So Texas was a great opportunity. And we moved to Texas and the children have been raised pretty much a good portion of their childhood in Texas. And I'll tell you what I love about Texas is the people are still old school polite. They're they're even the children are still opening the door for the elderly and saying, yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. I mean, there's kind of a code of ethics here and weird uh, people still fly the Texas flag. They put tattoos on their bodies. It's like, you know, I, uh, Florida, that does not happen. Nobody's flying a Florida flag and putting Florida on their body. Right. So Texas has a lot of pride. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think Florida is also a little bit, there's not really so many people actually from Florida who live in Florida. You know, they, Yeah, it could be that. I don't know. There's like, well, it, it's something like when you move to Texas, you learn their way. It's like their own country, honestly. It's yeah. different. It just is. It's kind, it's kind of a, their own, like like a country, like, like a, a country on yeah. its own. Yeah, I've noticed that. I haven't spent much time in Texas, but I have been and I agree. And everything is big. I see your garden. I see what you plant. Tell me about what you do. We uh, live on a ranch. We have a ranch. So this is a new chapter in our lives. I traded in a motorcycle that goes about 200 miles per hour, a double R 1000 BMW for a tractor, a John Deere tractor that goes about five miles per hour. <laughs> and uh, so I've had to learn a little bit about ranch life. Um, it's been a challenge, but it's also been a huge blessing. And last year was my first go at a real garden. And so I kind of followed the laws of my own thinking and planted more seeds than I thought, because I figured there's a probability of growth. And I was really, really wrong. All the seeds grew And so lettuce, the lettuce that I had in the spinach, I was begging my neighbors. I would be bringing almost garbage bags to them. So like, this is full of spinach. Will you take organic, no pesticide, clean? And Elizabeth, I can tell you the taste. I I have trouble eating things that aren't organic now. I really do. It is night and day. Like the strawberries blow up in your mouth. They're like, I'm like, what have we been eating? It feels like plastic food compared to this. So ranch life in Texas has been a, an eye-opening experience, a lot of hard work, but a lot of blessing. It's very satisfying though, isn't it? So satisfying to eat food that you have grown yourself. It's like, I, I think that I was trying to think about everybody on the planet having self-sufficient food growing in something like something containable. So I was thinking of even an apartment living. And if you had like a four by four, 
and just grow something and have that experience. Our granddaughter, Scarlett, is now nine. She gets up in the planters. She's getting corn out. She's picking this the snow peas, radishes, scallions. She thinks it's part of life. I mean, this is like incredible. I, I highly recommend growing something and letting, especially if you're raising children or grandchildren, and letting them snip off a little something, something, and then consume it. It's beautiful. It, it blows their mind. Yeah, that's yep. very beautiful. So you mentioned the word motorcycle before, and I think you have a few stories to tell when it comes to motorcycles. And you have but just recently been in Utah. I have been following you on social media, and I realized how much I miss that part of the world, the west of the U.S. You ride a motorcycle, right? Yes, for about 45 years. So I was doing it before it was cool for women. And my uh, father was the stimulus to that because I think I was uh, 14 and way too cool for the school bus. But we lived several miles away to the school. And I told my dad, I'm saved up all my babysitting money and I want to buy a car. So he, this is, he's a teaching dad. He was a teaching dad. So we went and found a little spider sprint car, had one cylinder of the four cylinders working. (laughs) And he said, your babysitting money will be able to afford this. And I get in it and the whole car is shaking. I don't know the difference. And I'm like, okay, we'll take it. He goes, well, let's talk about that. We popped the hood and he explained it to me. So I went home all sad because I didn't get my car uh, that I thought I could afford and then he told me, well, the, the women in Denmark all ride scooters everywhere. Mm-hmm. Scooters, you know, and I'm like, well, I'll, they didn't have scooters back when, you know, you're talking 40 years ago as much in America for people and certainly women. So I got a 125 CB Honda and I rode to school and everybody thought it was so cool. All my volleyball team all went and got a 125 motorcycle. <laughs> and I got called into the principal's office because they said they don't they do not allow gang activity <laughs> in, in their school. I said, gang activity, I'm trying to just get to school. You know? And and this is the thing I can afford. Well, I take the bus. No, sir, I will not take that bus. And so that was my first introduction to motorcycles. It has never left me until my children were very little. I gave up motorcycle riding until they could make their first peanut butter sandwich. Then I said, aha, they're (laughs) self-sufficient. I'm buying a bike again. (laughs) And so my husband and I, uh, I introduced it to him, but we travel literally all over the world riding motorcycles in some of the most incredible places on the planet, Austria, Switzerland, uh, Stelvio Pass. Mm-hmm. That's something to Google. That was probably maybe my hardest journey because these buses come down at 100 miles per hour, it seems. And I'm on this little motorcycle without guardrails. And if you look down, you're looking at mm-hmm. 10,000 feet down. Yeah, it's sort of like, yeah, you're on your own. Good luck to you. Uh, <laughs> and then we actually picked up track riding. So that means you're on a track, a Formula One track. Oh, wow. And that's where um, the last four years I've been riding track on my very fast motorcycle. And my average was, you know, I'd get to like 140. But you have to be very solid in your mind to get to that place with the ride. Uh, But motorcycling is basically a horse that doesn't go poop. 
That's <laughs> that sounds good. You know, I am from Switzerland and, and I know these mountain roads. I know those roads. Ooh. I know how treacherous they are. I um I actually had an uncle when I was a child. You know, I you know my story. I didn't have any parents, but I had a, an uncle who took me places sometimes and he had a he had an um a BMW it wasn't a 500. I think it was a 250. Yes. Uh, so oh, okay. the Monday that I was supposed to go to school, the day before, he had taken me out somewhere and we came home at midnight <laughs> and I went to bed at midnight from the bicycle, the motorcycle ride. But anyway, I made it to school. I got wow. up, so it was all good. But I know those roads and I know, I know what you're talking about. And of course, your motorcycles were faster than the one that I, I knew. Uh, what was the coolest place apart from those Swiss mountain uh, passages? What was the coolest place? Where is the coolest place you you rode your motorcycle, or is the Swiss one the coolest one? No, actually, I'm going to say the most spiritually awakening moment on a motorcycle was in British Columbia, uh, Vancouver Island. We took a ferry over with our bikes, with our motorcycles, because that's weird, and we get out, and I'm looking around and having a good time, and then. I don't know. This rainstorm came up. It was pitch black. I was concentrating on, <clears throat> you can't stop. It was so a lack of visibility that, I mean, it was like I had to like get all of my confidence going. The water was rushing from the mountains and swishing against the bike. Okay. We're trying to make it to some, I think, Long Island on, on uh, Vancouver Island, Long Island. And, oh, we drive by like a rainforest and we stop. And I'm telling you, I could barely see my husband's bike. We stop. We have our rain gear on, but we started walking into this magical rainforest. The trees were so huge. The leaves were like in Hawaii and it's not raining anymore, but it is raining, but it's not raining mm. because the leaves were such a canopy. Oh, wow. And it, and, it, and it made me kind of emotional because it looked like we were those little fairies that you see in the, the children's books and a leaf was as big as a dining room table and it kept us completely dry. We're walking around. It was just probably one of the biggest experiences of my life, how beautiful nature is That's and how grateful to, to actually have it bombard my senses instead of observe the beauty. This was a, just impacted into my soul. I'll carry that one forever. That's beautiful. I mean, this is the thing, I, you know, people who appreciate nature, I do too. Uh, there is just so much to see and there is so much to be grateful for. It's, it's important to notice it. You know, it's important to go through life with open eyes, I believe, and to see this stuff. And to, I mean, when you say that you're, you, one of your most beautiful experiences in your life is being under a tree, that is amazing. You know, that really is. <laughs> Cherry, let's talk about what happened when you were about 40. You got sick. You had breast cancer. You were diagnosed Mm -hmm. How well, how did you find out? Did you go for an for an um for a mammogram or did you feel something? What how did it start? Yeah, it was a mammogram, and this is the weird thing about life. I was in um, the waiting room because after they do the mammogram, you have to wait for a little bit with your little, you know, gown on. Mm -hmm. And these ladies that were in the same room 
we're just really complaining. They're eating like a bag of snacks and complaining about getting out so they can have their cigarette smoke. Mm. And I am organic eater, long distance runner, uh, like a beacon. At that time I was teaching children. So I impacted them on a daily basis, what it matters, what you eat and all that kind of stuff. And they all went home fine. And I got the call to come back. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, mm-hmm. what? And so I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Again, not in my family. A lot of people take a little false uh, security blanket thinking, well, it's not in my family. I don't have to worry about mm-hmm. it or get checked up. Mm-hmm. That's a big fat lie because 90% of the people that get cancer did not have it in the family. So that's not a security blanket at all. Anyways, I do believe in early detection. I was diagnosed. Um, I'm a researcher from uh, old days of IBM, computer engineering. I worked in NASA projects. So I'm basically a good problem solver and researcher. Well, I went into heavy, heavy research because that's shocking words, right? And for my particular procedure, I had a double mastectomy. And when I woke up, I was first asked for my lipstick because I wanted to at least feel like a little bit normal. Um, but I had a look, a little peek at what happened down on the my chest. And it's just a shock that it's hard to describe. Uh, the nurse tried to get me dressed in what I was told, which is a men's uh, dress shirt, you know, big and loose. I did bring that. I got in trouble for bringing that. I said, hey, first mastectomy, why don't you offer something so I don't have to get in trouble for bringing something wrong? And she told me, women have always just suffered in silence. They just make do. And I'm like, you've got it. What year is this? You've got to be kidding me. So Elizabeth, what I did was, um, even though I failed home ec, I know I failed home ec because I couldn't do the bottom bobber. I stapled my platzo pants. <laughs> I went out. I went about uh, helping, uh, thinking, how can I make this better for other people so they don't have to go through what I went through? And because I was with kids and I love giving back to kids and speaking colleges and stuff, I wanted to bootstrap it, this idea. So I created uh, a, a solution where women and men, because men get it too, can actually cover their bodies, hide those medical drains that are sewn into the body discreetly inside instead of outside where the whole world can see you look like a science experiment. Um, And I thought, well, I'll just help 100 patients in Austin with a thousand bucks because then I can teach others. Well, the um, 100 patient goal was met. And now I'm able to tell you that um, I've been able to help 150,000 souls on that same $1,000 investment. That's so, amazing. Yeah. And what I love to be able to share is my heart. Even though bad things happen in life, my heart was, well, what are you going to do about it? One, first survive because I had to raise my children. And two, what about others that are coming right behind me? How do we reach down and help them? And so the heal in comfort, I trademarked the sentence because I I know enough about IP, intellectual property, that there's trademark confusion and name confusion. I didn't want to deal with any of it. So I trademarked what did not happen to me. Heal in comfort was the last thing that happened, right? So I, I trademarked that. 
and the whole message really is uh, everybody has bumps in the road. Everybody has like bad things that happen, good things. But what about the people that are going to have the exact same journey? Is there any way you can make their journey a little bit better? So what I'm super proud to say that Heal in Comfort was birthed to try to make a wrong, a good, to help others. And it's mind blowing where we are right now. That's so, and, yeah. and you are selling these shirts online, don't aren't you? Yes, yeah, just healandcomfort.com. Yeah. And I have yeah, and we're helping a lot of people. It's such a blessing. Yeah, we will put it in the show notes. We will put that link in the show notes. Hopefully, whoever is listening will never need Sherry's shirt, you know, but but if you do or if you know somebody who does, things are bad enough when you are sick. I think that's exactly when you need something that makes you feel comfortable. And yeah. You, you, you had to learn it the hard way. Yeah, I watched, well, yes, the journey, but I also had to watch Coco Chanel three times to see that you could be a boss of fabric. <laughs> and because I, I failed home ec. And so like my material, uh, it took me a whole year just to get something that was feather soft because I know bodies hurt. And then um, longer armpits because people have sentinel node and internal pockets to hold the drains. There's so much engineering in a shirt I'm like, oh, designing for NASA was way easier than this thing because I had to find a unisex because I also help men with heart surgery and women with heart surgery, other uses for it now too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it. you designed it because you had been there and you knew what was important and where, where, the, where the parts are that need softness, that are sore or where things are important. I think that is amazing. That is a wonderful achievement. And you mentioned to me before that this also got you on trips. You started talking about this. You started doing public speaking and telling people about it. Where did you go? Oh, I've been all over, mostly um, universities and now, of course, virtual everything. But I also had opportunity to go to uh, London with um, Undefeated, who brought us, you know, basically brought us over. And what a great experience. Guess who I got to meet? Marilla Sula. Of course, that's our common connector, isn't it? Our common denominator. Yes, Global Women. And now I'm a lifetime member. I love her vision for helping women literally all over the world. I don't know anybody that has a bigger megaphone for helping women. And I do mean all over the world. I don't, a lot of people say global this, global that, blah, blah, blah. Nope, she really does it. And I know, Elizabeth, you're a key uh, partner in, in this vision. And you believe like I do that uh, we have to cheer our little leader on because she's got a very powerful message. So anyways, we were both the speakers on the stage. And then I met her. We went for walks. We did things. We talked. And I just fell in love with her. Then my husband and I got on a train. This is all new. I've not been over to, you know, the UK. This is my first go. And we got on a train and went to Scotland. When we got to Scotland, we rented motorcycles, the BMW GSs, and we rode motorcycles all over Scotland. We stayed in castles. We went to the Loch Ness. We had a blast. And I was particularly taken by the different neighbors one another have. So either they're Viking descent and they're six foot nine, (laughs) 
and they're coming out of very small homes or they are literally uh, something the side that you saw Lord of the Rings and they're all waving and all getting along and, and I don't know. It was a fabulous experience. But again, the blessing came because of the first want, and that is to turn a bad thing into a good thing for others. And it turned into international speaking and international traveling. And you and I know the value of the experience to travel. And I really believe when you travel, one, you're excited for a month before. Two, you actually get there. And three, I think your heart and my heart is an open door to say, what is this adventure going to show me? Right? Yeah. And sometimes like a, a rainstorm so badly that all you can see is the little yellow stripe sometimes seems like a bad adventure, but it actually ended up being the most spiritual adventure. So I think you and I are aligned with the pioneering spirit of having new uh, experiences and just being open to what's it going to bring. Don't try to control everything. So yeah. true. And being curious. I think one of the most important things in life until the very end is to be curious and to learn some because, and also to never to be arrogant and thinking that you know everything because you can learn something from every single person that you meet. And I have also learned that, I don't know, no matter where I go, whether it's God knows, in the desert or in Asia, or I don't know. You start talking to people and you just start understanding that we're all the same. You know, we, you find common ground. When you have kids, you start talking about the kids and when, they, you know, no matter what. So I think traveling really opens up beautiful friendships, but it also makes you a more accepting person, a more tolerating person. I'm going to say um, that became very apparent when we we're in Global Women in uh, New York City and the women all came with their their garments that are from their country, okay? And so Marilla would play some music from the different countries, Albania music, and, and we would learn the dances that they had and they'd scream and yell and dance and hug. And, and I'm like, wow, what a sisterhood. Mm-hmm. But I would never have had my eyes open had I not joined, you know, Global Woman. I'm just telling you that what you just said about learning about people, we're all, you know, we have our same wants in our heart. We have, you're right about moms can talk about kids, no matter where you are, <laughs> raising them, the pride and also sometimes the frustration of raising a family everywhere. I don't care if you're in the jungle. I don't care if you're. It's all the same. They're chasing after their kid with, you know, get back in here, finish making some something for lunch. I don't know. But it's like we're all the same. It's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. And it's it's a shame for all this judgment and propaganda and wrong information. And especially today with social media, it is so much easier to connect with people, to start talking to people. And very often it's fear, you know, a fear of another religion or fear of another whatever, another color or another people who look different. We're the same. We should we should start talking to each other more and, and communicating and exchanging and understanding that the world is such a small place. It's such a small place, you know. It's a absolutely and it's just a different earth suit. Who cares? Exactly. You know? Exactly. If somebody cuts their finger and they have a different earth suit than your earth suit looking, 
They're going to bleed blood. That's right. The same color. Red blood. Oh. Yes, that's very. I always look at it as just a different costume. Because <laughs> the real a, soul never, is That's a good one. I like that. Yeah. An earth suit. Yeah, just, it's just a little earth suit because the souls all have the same wantings. Yeah. The I'm, inner person, the inner person. There comes yeah. the moment when we have to hand in our earth suit. Yeah. Because it's actually, if you got evaporated, like, or me, I'll just use me. I think we're worth about $7.14 in chemicals and elements. <laughs> it's a lot. It's mostly water. Yeah. Yeah. And so like your, you know, your earth suit, why, 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 why judge another earth suit? Why? The inner person is what matters. That is beautiful. And it's so true. And uh, people should learn from these things. People should follow. Now, when it comes to travel, when this is over, when this COVID situation that we are all a little tired of, what is your dream? Do you have dreams as to where would you like to go? What countries would attract you? Where is uh, Cherry dreaming to go to? And my husband would like, one, Australia, and also I'd like to go back to the UK. Um, Switzerland has always fascinated me. I love the people were so friendly. Australia was wonderful, but I want to go back to Switzerland. I want to be on the top of the Alp. And I want to raise my hands. And, then and get yodel. I, I, I'll come with yeah. you and we'll yodel together. <laughs> yeah, I'll do, I'll do it. And I like the uh, physical challenging of travel. I don't like to just, I mean, listen, I'll go to an island and drink a, you know, a drink with an umbrella in it for sure. But not, that's not what I crave. I crave, unless I can go scuba diving, then I crave that. So if I can be under the water on top of the Alps, it's got to be extreme for me to be happy. <laughs> do you scuba dive? Are you a diver? I do dive. I've done it mostly in um, Mexico because uh, there's no sharks. Mm -hmm. I know that sounds terrible. Most scuba divers are like, what's your problem? But I just, uh, I don't have a lot of experience in it. But when I did, I like filled up my mask with tears of gratitude. It blew my mind. It's so beautiful. It is like being in outer space. You learn to control your breathing and go up and down over the, the rock formations and the coral. And you swim beside a big, huge turtle. And it doesn't even think you're like a bad guy, you know? It's it, just, you feel like you're just you there. It just one. thinks, it thinks you belong there. Yes. And I love to belong. Yeah. Yeah. I worked in the Maldives many years ago in 85 and I, I, I'm not a diver, but I went diving there and, you know, there you actually dive with the sharks. The sharks don't care because there is, no, there is so much, there are, there's so much fish and there's so much food. I don't know. They, they are not interested. You see them. And of course your heart beats a little faster when you see them the first time, but then, um, it's okay, but it's 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 not a very pleasant feeling to actually, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, free diving in the Keys. We used to live in the Florida Keys, and we had some, you know, aggressive black tip, yeah, and lemon shark, yeah. So, uh, not worry about sand sharks or um, things like that. I did not see a great white, but we have um, bull sharks. And if you're fishing, they're coming after you. <laughs> if you cut yourself, they're coming after you. Yeah. Because there was a lot of them. So that's probably why I was a little apprehensive to be in another country and swimming with their sharks. I knew my crazy <laughs> sharks. But I don't know if they're different in another country. <laughs> 
Do you have a real bad travel experience? Do you have a bad travel story to tell? Well, some of the, the bad travel experience could be disappointment with people. I'm going to say nature has never disappointed me. But if you do do some travel and you get around a pocket of rude people, mm -hmm. I don't care for that. That's kind of like negative energy. And I'm all energy girls. So I don't like to be around that. Um, so the only bad is with even if the circumstances on the travel don't do well, it's okay for me. But if I'm around crabby taker personalities, I, I, that that's a bad travel experience. Mm -hmm. And that's a bad experience in general, I would imagine, because you are a person who understands and feels other people's energy, right? Yes. Very, very astute to that. Yes. I think that's, a, that's not only a gift, I think it's actually something everybody can cultivate in themselves. If you put the narcissistic aspect of human nature of survival aside for a second, and really try to walk in the other person's moccasins and, and you start creating empathy, you start being able to read other people's energy. I think you can cultivate it. Absolutely. But you have to want to and you have to be interested in other people because if if it's only about me, 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 you're never going to feel other people's energy. That's 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 how we are all different. And that is fine. But um, yeah, but they don't even like animals. So they're they're not my people. Yeah. Like they don't even they're not even kind to animals. They don't even have the empathy or they don't even see the beautiful trees. They don't see the flowers. They They're just not my people. I have plenty of people, so they're not my tribe. I just keep on moving through. That's good. <laughs> That's good. And and wish them all the best. You know, I always think that when I meet when I make a bad experience, when I meet somebody that I that doesn't touch my my soul, I just send them off in a, in a huge bowl of light and and wish them all the best and you know, hope I never see them again. <laughs> Yeah. Here, I'll put you in a bubble full of all happiness and I hope nobody has a sharp pin. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Listen, we've, we're already coming towards the end. Um, what is your message? I think one of the messages that I would like you to repeat because of your experience, your health experience is women go and check your breasts, right? And men. And, and men. men. Yeah. What happened was on my website is healandcomfort.com. All these men were ordering. And then I, they'd say, they post a picture of them in a pink shirt, recovery shirt, because the guys were using like dirty bungee cords to hold the medical equipment from their garage. And so then they, they accepted a pink uh, recovery shirt. And I started thinking, wow, I've got to fix that now because that's not right. So I created a whole website just for the guys and it's called therecoveryshirt.com. I changed the logo so it doesn't have a girl on it and it looks more like the Swiss Army knife type of a look. So it's kind of like unisex, if you will, but guys love it. And I, I introduced blue shirts and black shirts and I help military with the black shirts because black is a common color to all branches. So that's another little uh, pivot in the company. So Heal in Comfort was for the women. And then the recovery shirt was created for the men. And yeah, men have breast tissue medically. That's the classification. Okay. They want to call it pectoral muscles, which we have also, and um, chest. But they have breast tissue. 
and they get breast cancer. And the problem with that is they ignore it because mm-hmm. they're like, this can't be breast cancer. That's a woman's disease. Yeah. Well, one of my missions is to get it out there. Uh, one of my friend's 17-year-old son, not overweight even, had breast cancer. So that's the Male Breast Cancer Coalition. They started a whole coalition. How do men detect it? They get a lump. Okay. And, okay. Then, they, and then they ignore it. Yeah. But you're right. They, there's no early screening. Yeah. Because it is predominantly in a woman. And certainly at this point, but the men die of metastatic cancer. So sometimes they don't even correlate it to it starting in the breast. They say, oh, you have lung cancer or you have brain cancer. We don't even know how many has metastasized from the breast area because the breast tissue absorbs a lot of toxins. It's where women hold things and apparently men, but men get um, prostate cancer, one mm-hmm. and two, mm-hmm. have abnormal numbers in, in the prostate. Those are the two holding tanks. So yeah, so part of my message is really that men get breast cancer too. And it co- of course, it can help by when you shower, by checking yourself, I would imagine, detecting lumps. Completely. And put soap on your body and give it a go. Because one, you have to clean yourself anyways. Yeah. So if your mind is open to making sure that you understand that no changes have happened in your body, you're way ahead of the game. Because if you think about how they treat a grain of salt or a little tiny, tiny half of a pea, versus a ping pong ball or an apple. Um, Some of the men have had things the size of an apple in them and just thought it was like a cyst. And the good news is that it can be, it can early, early detection can be cured. Oh, completely. That's part of the message. And thank you for letting me share that, Elizabeth, because it's on the rise. And I think we're just, our brains are just open to it now. We're finding out more and more and more. Excellent. This is good information and this is important for people to know. Even though my podcast is called Most Memorable Journeys, this is part of our journey because a journey is not just is not just traveling. A journey is our life and we all want to have a long and happy life journey, don't we? Yes, ma'am. And help others, help animals, help the planet, be a giving, a giving soul not a taking soul. So yes, the journey actually created journeys and journeys and journeys. Yeah. That's a good word. You know, when I started the podcast, you know, when you look for a name and and I'm so happy that I chose that word because it really can lead to all sorts of ways. Sherry Matthews, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you with me today. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for this great honor. And I cannot wait to hug your neck. We will meet. Soon, somewhere, either in London at the global, some global woman thing or on a Mount Swiss mountain or maybe in Cyprus. I'm in Cyprus. Come visit me. Yeah, I heard that you're in Cyprus with the Glenn Lundy interview. And I'm like, oh, I need to be invited there, too, when you invite him. You can come with or without Glenn Lundy. You are always welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. If you enjoy my podcast, please like, share and subscribe to my channel. You will find all the information in the show notes.